you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down. For your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord and, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as of the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. 
And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and, and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you would have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, well, let any of you that have gold take it off. And they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the, in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all of the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you. And go to and fro the gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now, I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. 
But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever, whoever has sinned against me, I will block out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron had made. This is the word of the Lord. Well, church, we are in a text of the Bible today that predominantly is shaped around a people who are waiting for leadership, a people who are in a place where they are not sure what to do, a people who um, are confused about their time and that feel like they're not sure Um, what the next step in their life is meant to be. It's it's a lot about... um, There's a a lot happening here um, which reveals to us the tendency of the human heart as to where people are willing to go to find their satisfaction when they aren't willing to wait on the Lord. Now, we might be asking, well, what does any of this have to do with us today? Uh, What does a story thousands of years ago about some Israelites at the foot of a burning mountain, um, about how they fashioned an idol, how does that have to relate to us as we sit here in 2021? Well, I would submit to you that this story has more in common with our lives than we might think, mainly because of... A lot of uh, what we face today is a lot of uncertainty. Uh, we don't know where our leadership is going. We don't know when our leadership is going to step up and step down from the mountain or lead us or where it's going to lead us or what the next point is going to be in our lives. I'm sure that in the midst of uh, the sixth lockdown, many people are asking, where is God and what is the next step in my life with his leadership? What is it going to look like? And this text gives us a view to see our sin and to see our saviour as they really are. It's a text that is going to allow us to see sin and going to allow us to see our saviour as they really are. So we're going to work through uh, this chapter. Uh, We want to think about four points. I'm going to go through with four points. Uh, Just put them out at the front. We want to think about a disobedient people and an angry God. A disobedient people and an angry God. Point two, we're going to think about an ignorant Moses and a gracious God. An ignorant Moses and a gracious God. Point three is going to be an awakened Moses. And point four is a gracious Moses and a gracious God. I want to pick up in point one, a disobedient people and an angry God. I wonder if you noticed it as we went through our reading, just how ridiculous the attitude of the Israelites was in this moment. 
I think we can, you can easily sit back and you can go, these guys are absolutely crazy, aren't they? Crazy. L literally. Like it's, 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 it's been about a month, right? And Moses has come down off the mountain for the first time. He's given them the Ten Commandments. And within a month, they're already asking and imploring their leader to break the first two. What makes things worse is that God is up on the mountain right next to them in a, in a, in a, in a cloud of fire and smoke and lightning. And the words of this people is, we don't know what's going on with Moses. The Moses who brought us out of Egypt, there's, there's, there's no acknowledgement of what God has done. They've, they've, they've forgotten the way that God has led them out of Egypt. They've forgotten the mighty power, the plagues. They've forgotten the provision of, of water and food in the wilderness. They've, and all they want now is something to scratch their little itch of enjoyment and impatience. The Israelites in this moment are a generation of immediate gratification. They're a disobedient people. I think it's really helpful here to see the nature of sin as it is uh, so deceptive and so quick to creep into the hearts of, of people, isn't it? But it's so there's there's a, there's a case study here for the way that sin works in the hearts and minds of, of people who 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 are called the people of God. We see in verse one that there's there's an impatience there, isn't there? That sin has crept into their hearts because of a lull. There's a lull in the battle, and people are feeling like, oh, I have to wait. Oh, I'm so bored. What am I going to do? They don't say it. They don't put it this way. They have effectively said, well, I'm so bored. I'm just going to do what I want, not what God wants. I'm just going to fulfill my own desires right here, right now, because I don't want to wait anymore. I'm so bored. I'm impatient. Fashion me a golden calf. What else is creeping into the hearts and minds of, of, of God's people in this moment? Well, sin has overtaken their desires because they now have this sense of familiarity, don't they? It's been a month. You know, what was before a sight that they trembled at, this mountain that is smoking, it's now just over there. Oh, yeah. Well, what's happened to Moses? Oh, he's up in the smoke somewhere. Oh, yeah, you know, he's just chatting to God, I guess. Aaron, fashion me a golden calf, please. Familiarity. Familiarity is can be a precursor to us running from God and running to things that will gratify self. What else do we see about the nature of sin? It's something that they fed, wasn't it? It was something that they fed and, and, and cultivated. Like they, di they didn't just run off into something little. They actually invested heavily in this thing. They took off their gold rings. They're like, you know what? I actually value my, my own joy and excitement that I can cultivate myself. Then I'm gonna give it my gold. I'm gonna give it my I'm gonna give it my day's wage. I'm gonna give it my time and my money and my energy. I'm gonna feed this thing. Because if I if I run, if I if I give enough to that, 
yeah, that, that's going to be better than what God has asked me to do in this time. So sin is something that it's, it's, it's occurring out of their impatience. It's occurring out of this sense of familiarity. They're feeding it with their time, energy, and money. But what else? Sin is something that looks pretty pious and righteous for these people, isn't it? Like they say, look at your gods. Sounds pretty holy. People looking in and be, oh yeah, they, these guys are pretty religious. It looks religious and holy, but it couldn't be any more further away than what God has required his people to do. And then what does God say about their sin as well? Well, what, 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 is, what is sin actually doing? This is how sin creeps in. And what does God have to say about sin? Well, verse 7, we read that he says to Moses, the people have corrupted themselves, corrupted themselves. So sin, as they've fed it, and as it's crept in, and familiarity, as it's, as it's taken hold of them in their impatience, as they've sit, sought to serve themselves, all sin is doing is corrupting themselves. Sure, it might feel good in the moment to have this party and this feast before this golden statue, but God says that it's corrupting them. Sin is... It's, 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 it's creating this, this impurity. It's, it's putting a spanner into the mechanism of their lives. It's like, if, do, you want, do you want your life not to go well? Like, would you, you know, would you like things to just, would you like to do everything you can to corrupt or to just screw up anything that might be good for you? Go after the desires of your own heart and forget what God has called you for. It's corrupting themselves. And in verse 8, God also says that their sin, it is meant that they have turned aside. Sin has put them off course. It's, it's, and it's more than a detour to the same destination. It's in the completely opposite direction to where God wants his people to go. Because of their impatience, because of the familiarity, because of something they're fed, because they wanted some immediate gratification, they're corrupting themselves, they're deceiving themselves, they're ruining themselves, and they have offended a holy, mighty, majestic God who has already done so much for them. Don't forget, like, what, what has he done for them up to this point? Rescued them out of the tyranny of Egypt. <laughs> Saved them from certain death. And here they are, now acting like the very Egyptians that God had judged earlier. And so we see in this text, in the response of in response to their sin, God is mad, rightfully mad. I mean, it doesn't say this in the text, uh, but I picture God just sitting back and throwing up his arms and saying, "Are you serious? Are you serious?" Like, guys, like, have you forgotten? Like, okay, do you remember the plagues? Do you remember the miracles? I've delivered you out of slavery. Do you remember the Red Sea that parted? Okay, what about the water from the rock? No, okay, fed in the wilderness. Do you remember the quail? That was some, it was some pretty sweet quail. All right, no. Manna, you know, the pancakes, no, all right, okay. Are you serious? All right. Guys, do, like, do you even know where we were going? Like, you couldn't wait a month. Like, we're on a journey to the promised land. We've had a stop off because we need some instructions. Like, 
Like I haven't just rescued you. You are on a journey to something even better. Like, are you serious? And guys, like I'm leading you. You remember, remember like being led by the cloud? <laughs> you remember that? Like, what about the pillar of fire at night? No? Okay, right, okay, right, all right. But that's not the only reason that God's wrath, wrath is burning hot. So I've already mentioned the people are acting just like the Egyptians. They've gone back to pagan idol worship. There's nothing now setting them apart to make them stand out for God's glory. Worst of all, God's people, they have replaced the joy that they would be getting from the most delightful and desirable God. They've replaced that with something that they think that they can create and control themselves. But look, it's, it's not only the people... So not only just the people on the ground that have minimized the sin by their forgetfulness and their ignorance, is it? It's not just the people. I want us to also have a look at Moses. Point two, I want us to think about an ignorant Moses and a gracious God. We've thought about point one, a disobedient people and an angry God. Let's think about an ignorant moment, Moses and a gracious God. Because it's not only the people that have minimized sin by forgetfulness and ignorance. Have a look at what's going on with Moses and God. Moses has God audibly tell him that sin is in the camp. Hey, Moses, your people have fashioned a golden calf. <laughs> All right. Now, Moses has heard what the sin is and he knows that. Like sin, is a, it's a, this is a defiance, the first commandment. And what's worse, not only has Moses heard that this is what's going on, like Moses is currently holding in his hands the tablets of stone that God has written, which says, you will have no gods before me. You will not fashion anything into, you know, the image of like a likeness of anything that has been created. Like he's, he's hearing it from God. He can read it from God. And yet Moses, despite hearing it, despite reading it, despite holding onto it, Moses still questions God. Verse 11. Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Are you serious, Moses? Now Moses, nobly, he asks God to relent. But is it for the right reasons? What does he say? Verse 11 and 13. Moses says to God, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say, With evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. You can say Moses nobly asked God to relent. And there's some good reasons in there, sure. Like Moses 
is imploring God to relent based on God's fame before the Egyptians. Do you see that? He's like saying, God, you wouldn't want the Egyptians to think that you're a big meanie, would you? You save them out. You wouldn't want the Egyptians to think that you're a big meanie, just saving them to kill them. More careful, God. And Moses also implores God to relent based on God's promises to the forefathers. Like he's, he's quoting now what God is God's plan. He's like, God, like we've got a good nation here. Like we're doing pretty well. Like we can't start all over again, surely. Do you remember the promise? And then perhaps there's another reason, reading between the lines. Perhaps there's another reason. Perhaps Moses is saying, you know, God, these are your people who you brought out of Egypt with great power. Perhaps Moses is even thinking, God, surely if you're willing to do that, there's something special about us. Is Moses right in what he pleads? I would argue that Moses' reasoning, although it is noble, is that it is a little bit reduced. Although it is noble, it is a little bit reduced. It's very short-sighted. Because I think that as I've been reading through this this week, I think that there would have been some pretty sharp responses that God could have given back to Moses, couldn't there? I like to imagine the, the reply that God could have quickly used to shut down Moses in this moment. Like imagine if God would have actually answered Moses in response to what he was saying here. You know, just imagine God just saying back to Moses, Oh, Moses, you're worried about my fame before the Egyptians, are you? Okay, what about my holiness and my righteousness? In case you didn't notice, Moses, right now, your people acting just like the Egyptians. Do you remember what I did to them? How's it going to look if I just forget all of this? Is that righteous? Is that holy? Don't tell me what the Egyptians are going to think. Oh, and my promises, Moses. Oh, yes, well, yes, I have made some promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, I have. Now... You're worried about that we won't be able to start again because we've got quite a nation in front of us. Okay, can I just can I just say one name to you, Moses? Can I just, just say one name? Okay, just, just one name, okay? Noah. Do you seriously think that I just can't start again and I can still fulfill my promises? And Moses. Moses, Moses, Moses. The reason I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand, it was not because you were special. It's not because you're more obedient. It's not because you're better than the Egyptians. It's because I am who I am and I do as I please to show my creation, my goodness and my power. Now, as much as I would have loved to have read this sharp cut back and shut down and mic drop from God, that's not what we read, is it? Instead, we read that in the face of Moses' ignorance, God is what? He's gracious. God is gracious. Because the sin that is being caused against God, God had, he was well within his right to answer back to Moses in the way we, the way that he could have, the way we thought about he could have. Because the, the, the offense that is being caused by God's people and the misunderstanding by Moses is just, it is infinite. 
Like imagine if you walked up to the Queen of England and punched her in her mouth. Imagine if you walked up to your boss at work, you know, took his credit card, spent all of his money, and then threw him in the lake. That's nothing compared to what God's people have done to God. There has been a sin on infinite and eternal of con- eternal consequence. They've sinned against the very creator of life itself. And when you sin against the perfect creator of life, the punishment is death. But God, instead of <clears throat> putting Moses in his place, he is gracious. God graciously relents. God, he, he presses pause on his plan to judge sin, doesn't he? He presses pause on his plan to judge sin. He doesn't change his plan to judge sin. He simply adjusts his path. God doesn't change his mind about his intended destination, but he does allow the, ir- the ignorant and flawed plea of a mere man influence the execution of that plan, doesn't he? Like, this is amazing. Like, this, this, this is amazing. God doesn't change his plan about his intended destination to judge, but he does allow the ignorant and flawed plea of a mere man to influence the execution of the plan. It is incredible that God engages with Moses and from it can see a way to adjust his judgment. He engages with Moses and he adjusts his judgment, the timing of his judgment. And why? Well, as we'll see in a minute, it's so that Moses and also us reading today can learn a really important lesson. Moses, God engages with Moses so that Moses can learn a very important lesson. So we can learn an important lesson. But before we get to the lesson, I just really want to encourage us with just a little side note here. And that is... It is incredible that God is willing to engage with us in prayer in this way. Like we, church, we 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 need it. We we need to see this today. Like, please don't forget the power of prayer to to let to to shape to shape to let God shape you and to shape the circumstances around you. Do not forget the power of prayer to let God shape you and the circumstances around you. Even flawed prayers. Even prayers that minimize the holiness and grandeur of God. God still interacts with those prayers and responds to prayers to shape you and the circumstances around you. And do you know how he can do that? Because he's God. (laughs) He's God. He can take the prayers of 5,000 people and still get to the same point in in his plan and he just he gets but he's able to adjust the way that the path is walked out by all those different people. You see, I think some of us don't pray because we think we'll get it wrong. Like some of us don't pray because we think we're going to pray bad. Some of us don't pray because we think we're going to offend God or worse, we think it's worse, we think we're going to offend the person who's sitting next to us at gospel community. Oh gee, they're a bad prayer. Oh, I don't want to listen to them pray. I think flawed and ignorant prayers are better than no prayers. 
Because what does God do with his flawed and ignorant prayer? Like he, he still uses the prayer to shape Moses, to shape the, what happens with the people. Like it's, it's, it's incredible. And like if, you, if you're ever worried about praying bad or praying wrong, like just let me remind you something. Next time you go to pray, let me remind you something. You get to pray to God. Like you're praying to God, like your heavenly father. Like he, he can handle it. He can, he can handle all of our ignorance. He can handle all of our like limited perspective. Like church, if, if your heart and your mind is in the right place when you pray, you can't pray bad. Like I know as a father, I know as a father that I would rather hear what my little girls really think. I'd rather them talk to me and tell, tell me what they really think. And even if it is a bit misguided, I'd rather hear that as opposed to never hearing from them at all. So church, let me encourage you, just from what we see here, take a risk this week and just ramp up some prayers. What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the best thing that could happen? Side note over. I did say that there was a lesson from God for Moses and for us as we discover what God is doing in his graciousness in light of Moses' ignorance. There's a lesson for Moses and there's a lesson for us. I'm going to read for us 15 to 19 and we'll move on to point three and awakened Moses. So God doesn't answer Moses back. We read from verse 15, Moses goes back down the mountain. Verses 15 to 19. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's noise of war in the camp. But, but he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain point three and awakened moses so we ask what was the value in god not talking back to moses with a sharp reply and instead being gracious to Moses to adjust the path of his overall plan and judgment? What's the value in all of that? The answer is that God lets Moses see sin for what it really is. From what we've seen, we have seen how the people have corrupted themselves, acted wickedly, they're ruining themselves, they've turned aside, they've made an image, they've sacrificed to the image, they've done exactly what God said not to do. The people have done that because of their impatience, because of their forgetfulness, forgetfulness of God's wrath, forgetfulness of what God has done, forgetfulness of God's love. They've done this because they're a stiff-necked people, a people who have a limited perspective, a people who only care about what's immediately in front of them, a people who can't look at their neighbours beside them, a people who can't see the big picture. They are sinning. And it's only now, even though Moses heard the report from God and even though Moses had 
the, the tablets in his hand, the very words of God, only now when Moses sees sin in the flesh does the reality, reality of sin do within him exactly what it did within God. Moses' anger burns hot. Now in seeing sin in the flesh, Moses fully understands why God was about to consume the people. I get it now, God. Now in seeing sin in the flesh, does Moses see how deceptive and disgusting and corrupting and vile and depraved sin is? Now that Moses has seen sin in the flesh, he has seen an act of rebellion, which is effectively saying to God, I know better than you, God. And God, I don't want you to lead my life. God, I'm going to find my satisfaction and my joy somewhere else. Here's the lesson that Moses and we need to learn from God's graciousness. Until you see sin for what it really is, you'll dismiss it and you won't want to destroy it. Until you see sin for what it really is, you'll dismiss it and you won't want to destroy it. So here's the hard question. Do you think you or I are any better than those people who bowed down before that golden calf? Do you think that just because of there being a lack of a statue in your living room that you are safe from God's judgment? Do you think that just because you have an affinity with a church brand that your soul is safe from the consuming judgment of God? Here's the truth. In your life, when you feel as if God is delayed in instructing you and leading you, sin doesn't only look like bowing down to a golden calf to find satisfaction of joy. So I find satisfaction and joy. For God speaks to us a lot in the Bible. He has a lot to say about what sin is and what we shouldn't do. It's not only just bowing down to golden calves. Hear these words from Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. Sin is sexual immorality. And all impurity. It's covetousness, which which shouldn't even be named among God's people. For God's people, there shouldn't be any filthiness or foolish talk. Crude joking, which is out of place, but instead there should be thanksgiving. There shouldn't be any idolatry. There shouldn't be any sorcery. Galatians 5, 19, there shouldn't be any enmity, there shouldn't be any strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. Sin is dissensions, it's divisions, it's envy, it's drunkenness, 
And the Bible says that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you know, sin, sin that needs to be punished is not only things that we do that we shouldn't do, it's also things that we don't do that we should. Sin is also things that we don't do that we should. Let me introduce you to Romans 12. How are you going living these things out as we are a people who wait on God in the midst of a sixth lockdown? Let love be genuine. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Church, before we stand in judgment of Israel, we need to ask how we also measure up. Is the Spirit of God perhaps allowing you to come down the mountain and have a fresh look at the sin-stained flesh of your own heart today? I know for myself, I cannot stand. I deserve to also drink the gold ash polluted water of my own actions and lack thereof. So if you feel the grubbiness of your sin, what do you do? Who can deliver us from our bodies of death? Well, last and final point, I want us to think about a gracious Moses and a gracious God. Moses has seen their sin for what it really is, hasn't he? His wrath has burned hot. He made those who participated in the idol worship be so at one with it that he caused them to drink it. And in the face of Moses' rage, the people were forced to make a choice, weren't they? Moses called for a response. It was a response that was going to divide the people. Verse 26, Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. We read in our passage that it was only the priests that went to stand with Moses. The people were still stubborn. And those who did not respond to that first offer of mercy, many perished, killed for their sin. So it's worth asking the question, how do the rest of the people in the camp feel now? (laughs) Who was on the Lord's side? Not me. Oh, wait. Ah, my brother's dead now. What's next? How do people feel right now? How do people feel like that they've blown it after not taking up the first offer of mercy? How do they feel? 
Who can deliver me from my body of death? Judgment is coming. I have rejected the offer of mercy. What hope do I have? That's how they feel. And then Moses goes to bed. The next day, he steps out of his tent. He's ready to speak to the people. Thus far, we've seen that Moses has executed his own judgment. Surely, I feel like if I was one of the people standing there, I'd be feeling that Moses has had a nice night to plan for his next mass slaughter for the sin that he's seen. What hope do the people have? But that's not what they heard from Moses, is it? That for all those people that did not first respond to the offer of life, Moses, instead of finishing them all off, what does he do? What does he do to those people who have sinned a great sin? Well, he goes to the people and he says what they never would have expected. Moses stands before the people and he says, you have sinned a great sin. But I will go up and perhaps I can make atonement for you. Did you hear that? Moses said, perhaps I can make atonement for you. Now, remind me again, what usually would make atonement for the people? An animal sacrifice. Moses, in his I can, Moses implies that Moses knows that his punishment that he has executed so far, it is not enough to satisfy the magnitude of sin that the people have committed against a magnificent God. And it implies that Moses is willing to go and die on behalf of the people. He says, he says almost exactly that perhaps I can go and die in your place. Verse 32, but now, this is Moses imploring God, if you would forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses now goes before God. He says, forgive the people, but if not, blot me out. Take my life instead of theirs. Look what Moses is doing. Moses He stands before the people as their leader and he effectively says, Guys, while I was away, you were all implicit on an act that deserves death. But because I love you, I'll die in your place so you don't have to. You know, because because I love you, I'll die in your place so that you can have another chance. Because I love you, I'll die. I'll die so that you can still walk with God to the promised land. Does that sound familiar, church? That should sound familiar. That is the heart of Jesus for you. Jesus, the new and better Moses. That is the action of Jesus for you. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus 
for you, the one who takes away the sin of the world. But better, so much better, that when we, upon realizing this disgusting state of our sin against a holy God, when we cry out, who can deliver us from this body of death? When we fear the judgment of God because of the sin that we have rightly now seen as we've come face to face with it, we get to say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus who can deliver us from our bodies of death because as God, he took on a body so that he could die in our place. And because Jesus has lived and died and risen again, despite you having sinned, having fallen short of the glory of God, you can be justified. Because of Jesus, you can be made new. Because of Jesus, you are offered a new chance of life to walk with God to the promised land. And why does God do this? Because of his amazing grace, because of his wonderful mercy, and because of his never-ending love. It's a gift. It's a gift that in Jesus we see redemption, we see rescue, there is deliverance, all things are made new, and the intimate person-to-person relationship between us and God is restored, and we can be called his children, and it's all a gift given to us by Christ Jesus. It's a gift where all we have to do is simply respond to the invitation made again by Christ, he says, whose side are you on? He says, whose side are you on? Believe and have faith in me and simply walk away from your old life and start a new one where you'll be walking with me. Whose side are you on? Do you know this good news? Do you know this gospel? Today, have you recognized your sin afresh? If today you have recognized that you have fallen short of God's glory, today can be the day that again you can apologize for that and you can also receive the forgiveness for it. And more than that, not only does Christ freely offer forgiveness from sin, but today can also be a day where you ask for a fresh empowerment and emboldening and a courage to no longer live in the ways that once corrupted you. Today can be a day where you can cast off your godless impatience and faithlessness so you can again receive grace and forgiveness to walk in your new identity as one who is joined to Christ. Today, today can be that day. Today can be that day. That as we look down the barrel of COVID lockdown 6.0, instead of being a people who run to the false gods that corrupt us so that we can find comfort in this time of waiting, we can instead be patient and wait on God, knowing that he's with us, he's comforting us, He's guiding us and loving us. And that is so real because his spirit is within us. And as we live in that confidence, we can pray prayers that are real, that are probably a little bit flawed, 
but it doesn't matter because he loves us so much and he wants to shape you and he wants to shape me and he wants to shape the very path of the way he's going to execute his plan so that we would know joy and comfort and love and that so others would know Jesus and that so God would get the glory he so deserves. So church, today can be that day. Today can be the day you say sorry for your sin, you say yes to following Jesus again, and we walk in the newness of life and the grace that he's given us to do so. Those are a few things that we can take from Exodus 32. That we would be a people who are able to see sin and also see our Saviour as they really are. Let me pray. Our dearest Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, the new and better Moses. That just as Moses went up and was willing to die on behalf of the people, Jesus, you have died on our behalf. That you have interceded for us before God. And then not only are we, not only have you passed over our sins, but because of Jesus, we are made new and that we're given power and we're given hope and we're given life and we're given courage to continue to walk with you so that you no longer see us as sinful people apart from you, but you have drawn us near as your children who can walk with you. So would this day be a day of refreshment? and be a day of courage to face the weeks ahead as we afresh put our trust and our dependence upon you, our loving King, Lord and Saviour. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.